another episode of the Behind the You podcast. And do I call you Christine or do I call you the ball girl? Which, how are we doing this? Either one. I mean, it's so funny because I used to have a nickname growing up where it's Beanie. So people at Miami actually only knew me as Beanie for a very long time. So if you went up to them and you were like, hey, Christine, they had no idea who it was who it, who they were talking about. So, I mean, the ball girl, Christine, whatever. It, it works. Right. Christine Williamson of ESPN, proud UM alum. Of course which is the connection and part, of course, they're coming on the podcast and the recent MC of the celebration of women's athletics, which was this past weekend at the University of Miami. So thank you for doing this. No problem. I'm excited to be here. All right. So um, we ran out of time. We were thinking of getting you on before, but the timing didn't work out. But I'm actually glad right. we had you on after because I just want you to I wanted to know. All right. So you were asked to do the event. You're I'm doing the event. You probably had in your head what the event would be like. But then you did the event. So I'm yes. wondering what you what you took away from it after you kind of hosted, emceed, interacted and was able to participate. Yeah, it was crazy. I am um, the one thing that I ended up saying, I'm like a person that like I cannot uh, like I can't filter myself sometimes. <laughs> so like when I got there and I was reading the bios of uh, the women that were being recognized, I was like, dude, I was not doing this much when I was a student athlete at university of Miami. Like it was just not, I was, I wasn't doing that kind of stuff. Like it, so it's crazy to me because coming back and people being like, oh my gosh, we look up to you. I'm like, I look up to you guys and you guys are going to do far more than I ever did because of just how successful they already are while being at school and being a student athlete. It's wild. So um, I think that was the one thing that I was most impressed with was just the women doing so much for the community, doing so well in the classroom, um, knowing what they wanted to study, like stuff like that, having conversations with a lot of them. Um, yeah, I was just super impressed by all of them. How about just the event in general? It's year eight and just the amount of support behind women's athletics at the University yeah. of Miami. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I Jen told me that they had won that that they had already raised seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars going into the event, which I was like, dude, that's that's crazy. Um, but it's awesome. I um, one of my former teammates, her grandparents, Seth and Betty, they have been supporters of university of Miami athletics for a very long time. They were actually at the event. Um, and it's just, it's awesome to see the support because obviously like that's what women's athletics stands upon at this point, right? We still have a long way to go in growing women's sports. So having the support from people like that is awesome. So I was going to, I was going to ask you about that, but it, about where we are and where we're going, uh, especially because right. you, since you were, you were a, uh, not only alum, I left that the part you were a student athlete and an alum, right? right? You right. played volleyball. Yeah. So you've, you've lived in this space, but I did want to get to the, I read the bios too in, in getting ready for this. And you know, when I see mechanical engineering pop up, I'm like, if you did that without being a student athlete, that's crazy. Right. Being a student athlete and pursuing a mechanical engineering degree is like, because what you should really, you should explain, right? This like, it's not, it is sport when you're a student athlete, but it's like a job. It's, it's a massive yeah. commitment. Yeah, they're at the Hecht Athletic Center the majority of the time, right? Like if you, like when you wake up in the morning, you have rehab, so you have to go to the Hecht, right? Then you go to class, then you have workouts, so you have to go to the Hecht. Then you have study hall, so you have to go to the Hecht. Then you have practice, so you have to go to the Hecht. Like there's so much time spent in that um, athletic facility that mechanical engineering, like I could not <laughs> imagine, first of all, I don't even know, like that's so far over my head, but like even talking to a lot of the girls that were coming up to me and just talking about doing broadcast journalism, like you have to put in so many hours that you don't necessarily have. And so I was telling them like, a, a, one of the main reasons that I'm currently in sports is because all of the projects I was doing for broadcast was in the heck, like I was doing all stories on the athletic trainers, on my, you know, my peers, like people that were um, working behind the scenes in sports. So like, it's just crazy because being a student athlete in general takes up so much of your time, right? Also, not to mention the fact that they really care about being good at their sport, right, right? Right. So it's not just like a job where it's like, I need to get this done and whatever, like they want to be good at what they do. Um, so yeah, you spend a lot of time in that building and I can't imagine also getting a mechanical engineering degree. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I like, I remember when I picked my major, I was like, what's the least amount of credits? Right. Uh, do I have to write a thesis or not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and, and so I've been through that as a regular, I didn't play sports. I've been through that as a regular student. I don't, the demands that are put on student athletes across all sports to 
and and also to excel in the classroom and like you said not just play the sport but be good at your sport amongst if you want to do anything else outside of those two things you know it's insane or you get no sleep one or the other right and i was sitting at at, at a table with carmen san san nichols and she is from spain and didn't speak english when she got to um so not only did she have to figure out you know where classes were make friends she also couldn't speak english so now just she's, a little thing just a small right, little like, thing who, communication it's right. not a big eh, deal no big deal <laughs> who needs that right. uh, but it's crazy because now she got a job she's like you know going to be able to work in the united states after she finishes her schooling so it's just crazy to see how successful she was able to be so she's also she's getting recognized she's getting those hours in community service she's getting great grades and she's learning english and she's playing a sport so it's just it's insane it's wild so you mentioned um did you study communications at um broadcasting yes, broadcast journalism yeah so where did you have time to fit that in because i know from being in the business hiring right. people you know etc you know miami has an awesome awesome, awesome broadcasting yeah. uh, school slash the opportunities they provide with the VUM and, and the radio station, et cetera. And then of course, everything that's available in this market. So when did you fit that in? Um, I did UMTV and I worked on sports desk um, and I used to do um, a segment with student athletes where I just sat down and talked to them about different things in their lives. I've actually watched it. Like how was it? I watched it during the pandemic and I was like, how did I get a job? <laughs> it's so bad. It is literally one of the worst. That's one of the things that I actually told a lot of the girls that were coming up to me. I was like, listen, don't even worry. Just get the reps. You'll figure it out. Like whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, so I did sports desk and I would only do it during the off season. So I would doing, do it usually during the spring okay. um, and okay. the summer because I didn't have time during the fall. Um, but yeah, I just worked however I could. It was hard. I think the hardest thing was getting internships because, um, I didn't really have an off season necessarily. I was injured and in, in the um, training room all the time. So like during the summer, I was, you know, getting hours doing rehab and stuff like that, just to stay healthy throughout my whole entire career. Um, and so I think the hardest thing was just getting those um, internships. And I actually never got an internship at like a local television station or anything like that, because I just didn't have the time. Um, I would usually work in like a communications department, whether it be with PR or marketing or something like that, um, just because it was a lot easier to work those hours because it was a strict, you know, it's a nine to five versus, you know, kind of being all over the place and following sports wherever they go. So what got um, you, what got there. you to, what got you to be uh to be in this this uh field why like you know like i again some people know some people don't i had no right. clue what i wanted to do when i got into college and then like one summer i was like listening to the radio I, I was at a press conference i was interning for the miami heat and i was like well, i don't know about what i was doing in pr but that over there the people covering the press conference and talking right. about it like that seems pretty cool and that's where it started so where did it start for you so um, I knew that I wanted to be a broadcast journalist as soon as I went in to school. So that was like freshman year, I declared my major as broadcast journalism. Um, but I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be in sports. I actually have um, a good family friend of mine. Her name is Gail Searins, and she was the first woman to ever call an NFL football game. So I remember watching her. She, she worked in local news when I was growing up. And my mom also worked in local news when I was growing up. So I knew having those two role models and those kind of positions and just being around the industry, it was something that I wanted to do. Um, but there was a point while I was at school where people were kind of saying, you know, it was a class. People were kind of saying like what field they wanted to be in. Um, and a lot of people said sports, obviously, like it's, it seems fun. It sounds like a good time. And I remember my professor was like, well, it's going to be tough, especially for all of you guys to be in sports because it's really competitive. And that's like the last thing that you say to an athlete. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that must be the field that I'm going into because you just, that's a challenge to me. Like that just sounds like a challenge. Um, so that's ultimately why I kind of decided. And then, like I said, because of all of the projects that I was doing for school, I was doing in the hect and, you know, working on a lot of the sports stories and stuff like that. It just seemed like a natural kind of transition to go into the sports world. All right. So uh, I want to tackle some of what you said there. Uh, we're going to put that on hold for a second. because I want to get back to actually the celebration of women's athletics. These things just kind of free flow a little bit, which is uh, you said, and it's what I wanted to ask was, We've made progress, right, in terms of just the support, commitment to, to women's athletics, equality, et cetera. 
Um, although I guess the final, the NCAA tournament a few years ago was swung and missed a little bit on that one. Right. But uh, so, and you, you played somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago, I think my math's about right. So yeah. where, where were we when you were, the, when you were playing, where have we come and sort of where do we still need to go? So um, it was 10 years ago, actually, my graduated, but you started, you yeah. started. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Cause I was there for five years. So you're right. You're right. You're right. I always try to make myself. It's so funny. Whenever people ask me how old I am, I'm just like, how old do you think I am? Because we're going to go with right. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm past that. I'm past that. <laughs> um, I feel like at the time when I was a student athlete, I kind of fell into the idea that women's athletics was different than men's. And I remember having a lot of conversations with like football players and stuff like that. And them having that same mindset, right? Like we just didn't think of ourselves as equal in any kind of way because we weren't revenue generating. Um, we weren't drawing massive crowds. Like I just saw it that way. And I think that's because, you know, obviously that's how society looked at it. So I, at the time, wasn't really challenge or challenging the idea that women's athletics needs to be on the same level as men's athletics. I think the fact that those conversations started changing after the time I was a student athlete. And then obviously we're working to um, change the entire outlook of women's sports is just a testament in and of itself. Because like I said, if at one point as a female student athlete, I wasn't even thinking about ever being on the same level as men or being treated in the same similar ways as men um, to have come this far and such, you know, it's, it's 10 years, but it's not that long of a time. It's a short amount of time. So I think even just the mindset and general changing, that's where we were then. Um, I think obviously, like you mentioned the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago, especially when you compare men's basketball to women's basketball, it's a very, you can look at the differences and the discrepancies directly, right? I think having those conversations, the biggest problem is that people for some reason don't value women competing and want to minimize their level of competition. And when I have those, when I had those conversations, when I was in school, a lot of the conversations were, they revolved around, well, we work harder than you, right? Like, well, we're outside, so it's hotter and we're doing this as if what women are doing in their sports isn't the same because they're women, they're not doing it. They're not as strong, they're not as fast, they're not jumping as high. Um, so I think that's the first thing that us as a society have to value, the fact that the work is completely equal, right? We are all really good athletes. Um, but I think, you know, the fact that this year is the first year that the women's NCAA basketball tournament was able to be called March Mad Madness, right? The fact that um, when it comes to NIL deals, women are starting to get a lot more money and we can compare it now. Like, the fact that they're starting to look at attendance at these tournaments and stuff like that and say, actually, look at the women's game. It's not a problem of whether or not we're drawing crowds. It's a problem of whether or not you're actually willing to show people the product that we're putting out there. So I think that's the biggest difference and the biggest thing that we still need to grow. It's just about allowing people to watch the sport, right? I feel like it's always been hidden because people are like, oh, it's not the same product. People don't wanna watch it, but people can't watch it because you guys aren't providing the product to the people to watch. Um, so I think that's the biggest difference. And like you said, we obviously have a very long way to go, but I think because people are having the conversation more and they're able to show proof that is something that people want to watch and people get behind, um, that it will allow things to kind of grow in that direction. I do think one of the things where progress has been made going back to the, the NCAA tournament a few years ago is that the message was delivered, but more importantly, that message was received by everybody, right? Like, right obviously there's different ways to get messaging out now in the world we live in. We all know that obviously you're living that at ESPN in terms of, you know, your distribution platforms, but like that message, the message was delivered. Right. And a lot of people rallied around it for the right. betterment of the sport and the people who are playing it. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is, is social media has helped us so much because Sedona, Sedona Prince was able to put that on TikTok and be like, Look at how ridiculous this is, right? If you see the fact, like I said, we're all working the same amount, right? We're still lifting weights, just like men are lifting weights. So why does their weight room look like this? And mine is something that I could have gotten off of Amazon for $60. Like, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Um, it almost wasn't I, real. It almost literally almost wasn't real. Like this is, is this like camp? Like you almost look back and you go, the NCAA really like, they thought this was okay. 
Like this, there's no, there's no way someone running the, the sport right. at that level could be like, this is going to work. No one's right. going to say anything. This will pass. It's all it's, I think the difference is that they don't think about putting in the time or the effort about things that are needed. So everything else just becomes an afterthought, right? Okay. The courts are this, the, this is that, whatever. Oh, they need somewhere to lift weights. Let's hurry up and put that together really fast. Right. So I think, by the way, I have a cat and he just walked in. That's the room. Fine. He's also That's fine. Um, a naked cat. So he looks like a rat. That? Oh, okay. No problem. <laughs> we've had, we've had, uh, you're not, not the first animal to, to uh, make an appearance on the old I, podcast. KJ Osborne's not. dog made an appearance. And oh, we uh, love that. yeah, we yeah. Love that. So we're okay. Uh, my dog, my, I'm not home right now, but my dog has crept into the, uh, there you go. Yeah. This is, this is Louie. He's hey, uh, Louie, what's going on? What is, kind of, is that outfit. a shirt? Is that a shirt? It is. He has, he just took a bath today. So he put on a new outfit. Nice. Um, it's a nice little t-shirt. Yeah. He's a, uh, this is his home. Not he can join whenever he wants. Come on by. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but yeah. So I think the biggest thing, you know, obviously is just making things intentional like get ahead don't don't let things like that it should be the way that you guys plan things should be completely equal the fact that the weight room was very obviously an afterthought and not something that they thought oh well it's fine just put like some 15 pound weights in there and they'll be good like it, it it's wild that they would think that but i don't think that they're thinking i think that they think the most important thing about this tournament right now is what what happens on the court Oh, do they need weights? Like maybe somebody was like, Hey, where's the weight room going to be? And then they're like, Oh, they need a weight room. Let's put it in this large room and just put a bunch of weights in here. So I think that's the difference is it's about people being proactive and actually treating the things as equal because you know that you guys put a lot of thought on the men's side in this. So it's just, it's just creating that equality amongst both all sports. So, so we'll circle back to the event that you emceed. I read somewhere, I think it was a couple hundred people were at the event, maybe 400 people were at the event, the amount of money that you talked about that was raised. And then you circle back to like, man, the impact that's being made. And the and again, message delivered. We want to have an event. We want to support women's athletics. And then to get the to get the real tangible support, both right. in person and in 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 this regards, the finances is impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when she told me the number, I was like mind blown just because you don't realize how much support women's athletics actually has, especially at a school like Miami, right? Where you have this rich tradition of men's sports kind of dominating the conversation. Um, and yeah, the fact that you have so many people buying in, even the 400 people at the event itself and how excited they were to support women's athletics, to hear the stories of these women that were getting recognized and to be donors was huge. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, it, was, it was awesome to see. So one of, I thought this was pretty cool too. One of the athletes said um, that it was a great, it's a great time. The advice she was giving was this is a great time to pursue your dreams. If you're a woman, because the world is rooting for you now, right there, right. The, 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 it's shifted, right? The, the, the paradigm has shifted and now you can go pursue what you want to do. And maybe it's not, it's still, I'm sure is a fight. I'm not a woman. I don't know. Right. right. But it's maybe less of a fight where there's more opportunity and that the people are on your side. And I thought that was a really cool perspective. Um, I think it's crazy because uh, this morning I actually um, we spoke on SportsCenter AM about Jackie Robinson Day on April 15th. So they're doing a lot of things um, leading up to the day. And they talked today about Billie Jean King and how. And I remember seeing this interview because I hadn't I hadn't seen this. I don't really know that that much about um, Billie Jean King's story in that regard. But there was a quote by the man that she ended up competing against that was, he goes, we're here to show that men, he said something along the lines of like, men are the superior. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I just remember listening to that and being like, could you even imagine if in 2022, not only did somebody say that on national television, but even like if somebody just said it out loud, um, that that would be a thing that existed. So I think because stuff like narrative, like narratives like that are not accepted anymore. Like you said, people are rooting for women at this point. Um, whereas at one point it was completely acceptable, acceptable to be like women are, are inferior to us. Why, why are we even having this conversation? Um, so yeah, I think that's completely accurate. How much do you think also that the company you work for ESPN has been very, uh, knee deep in just elevating plat. You talk about how can we be, 
uh, equal for not have the platforms to be showcased. And ESPN certainly is the devoted resources to that. How oft, off, uh, how much is that important? And then also, we just see more female voices, female faces, right? And so, again, that allows the narrative to be directed by the people who um, can inspire change. I think on a, I think it's crazy that on a regular basis, you still have people, especially because everybody can talk on social media, challenging whether or not women know things about sports <laughs> on right, social. Mina, Mina Kimes? Yeah. Like, why does Mina have to, Mina is one of the smartest people uh, that covers the NFL. She's teaching Marcus and Dan things on a regular basis, right? Like they're learning from Mina and they both played in the National Football League, right? Um, so it's just crazy to think about the fact that people are still challenging that. But um, I will say that ESPN has allowed a lot of the women's voices who are like Mina Kimes, um, like Malika Andrews, especially if you look at what's happening in the NBA, a lot of those, like if you think about Chaneo Gumake, right? She is a WNBA player and she covers the NBA. She's one of the best analysts of the men's game, right? I don't think that at one point, like it was Doris Burke and like nobody else, right? So I think the fact that if Roz on Wooday is another one, Monica McNutt is another one, like women that played the women's game, realizing that those, they can also analyze the men's, it's this, like, these are voices that are very good at their job and they know how to break down the game. So I think ESPN is definitely showcasing those voices and allowing them to be on platforms where they're not just pinholed into doing women's hoops, right? They're able to do the whole entire thing. And I think that's been really good for our company. So I might've made a mistake, I might've made a mistake somewhat in that because I'd like to see um, that things have changed and there's progress, but I also, I'm not a woman. So I don't also see what's behind the curtain sometimes, right? You right. Said like on social media, I don't see all the pushback. Um, and I know that I know it exists. So I guess I would, I would just open that up to what challenges do you still face? Like, do you, what do you hear and see? Because then the reason why I ask is because I want people, if it's there, right. First of all, if yeah. it's there, I want people to know it and hear it because until they hear it and know it, it's not real. And I, and I somewhat, you know, just even a moment ago, I won't say I washed over it. Right. But I, things have gotten better, but it doesn't mean it's complete. And so yeah. that's why I asked the question and want you to share because people need to know. I think the biggest thing, and I, there's a woman named Kimmy checks that works um, for NFL network. And she just posted something about along the lines of this conversation, because she was saying it's hard for women, um, especially in her cases, in my case, as a black woman to not come in and be on and have everything 100% correct 100% of the time, right? Because if you mess up 0.00001%, nobody cares about how, how well you were or how good you did in the, I don't even know percentages. That's why I wasn't a mechan mechanical engineering major. But this percent of the time, if you mess up 0.10000%, 100, whatever, percent, then people are going to hone messed, in on you that You just messed thing. up, you're done. You just messed yeah, exactly. up. You're done. Like, you're out. You don't know anything. Never on the podcast again. Right. You're not invited back. Exactly. And it can be like a stat. Like, it's like, if I say that somebody is shooting 53% and they're actually shooting 52.1%, then it's like, well, actually, you don't know what the heck you're talking about and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you completely get discredited just because you don't know one thing. It's so funny too, because especially if you tell somebody that a man that you work in sports in any like public arena, Rather than being like, oh, that's really dope. A lot of them will be like, well, what do you know about this? Or who was the uh, MVP of the 1953? And it's like, <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything. I'm telling you, I'm work I work in sports and I'm good at my job and I know what the heck I'm talking about. So I think the biggest issue is just the fact that a man can mess up in this arena and it would be fine. Oh, he just got a stat wrong. Ha ha ha. He's such a funny guy. Oops. He doesn't know everything, whatever he's human. Right. But if a woman does it, they're immediately discredited. And I think that's a lot of things that or a lot of the struggle that women go through is just putting the pressure on themselves to be perfect because they don't want to do put it on. Do you put that on yourself? I just had a conversation with my producer, this one of my content producers on Sports Center this morning, because he asked me that question. He said, Do you put a lot of pressure on yourself to be perfect? And I was like, Yes, because my specialty at the moment is um, college football, um, NBA, college hoops. So anytime I'm talking about baseball, NHL, that kind of thing, 
I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of those leagues, right? So I am so incredibly just tight to make sure that I have everything correct. Um, and it's very hard because I don't want to be discredited, right? You want, especially on a, on a program like SportsCenter, you want people to listen to you and know that you know what you're talking about. So the moment that you mess up a pronunciation or you're like, oh no, did I pronounce this right? Even a name, it, it because I'm a perfectionist, it gets in my head. Um, and I think it's just the pressure of not wanting to mess up and seem in that moment, if you do mess one little thing up, like your whole entire career is just a lie, right? I remember, cause I was on a panel once with Laura Rutledge and she obviously is doing NFL live, but she was doing a lot of college football stuff before then. And she, when she first got the NFL live gig, she was saying that like, she going into that, even though she's extremely talented, extremely good at her job, was nervous and didn't think that she was actually capable of doing the job that she was given. She had like a lot of imposter syndrome. Like, how did I get here? Was this a mistake on their part? Like, should I actually be doing this? And I think that's a lot of, no man is going into a job that they get like that and being like, should I, am I sufficient to be here? Right? Like if, if, if a man gets the NFL live, live gig, he's like, yeah, I'm good. I know exactly what the heck I'm talking about. I I'm an NFL analyst. I'm an NFL host, whatever. Like I got this, but I think as women, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because we don't, we just have an, an imposter syndrome. And I think it's just because we don't want to mess up so that we can be discredited. And we know that that happens immediately. Um, and so, yeah, you, I definitely put pressure on myself every single day. So you, did you host uh, as, as of our, our taping this, did you host, were you on, I guess you were on sports center this morning. You were hosting sports center this morning. This, yeah. So it was <laughs> the best shift in sports center is, is? 7am shift. You wake up at a good old 2.30 a.m. You start writing scripts at 4 a.m. It is the most brutal shift ever. I don't know how people do it. I just fill in on it. I don't know how people do it on a regular basis because um, I was hosting with Randy Scott and I'm like, dude, what time do you wake up? He actually wakes up at 1.30 because he lives about an hour and a half away. He lives in so he wakes up at 1.30, he gets on the road by 2.30 so that he can get in because he has to, you know, we start writing scripts at four in the morning and he does that every single day. It's 110 miles that he travels there, like uh, one leg of the trip. I, I don't know make it. I would it. not make it back and forth. Could you imagine? Like no. even setting your alarm, like no. what time do you go to bed? It's it's wild. It's insane. Um, and you're here doing yeah. this. I would have never guessed. I would have never guessed that you were up at 2.30 this morning. Oh my goodness. Actually, I, I pushed snooze a few times. I think I got out of bed at 2.45. <laughs> so when you're hosting SportsCenter, um, based on what you just said before about just, you know, you have your strengths in terms of your knowledge base, something. Right. So like, is it a little bit of a, is it a jolt excitement combined with anxiety? Um, yes. <laughs> I'm an anxious mess in general, which actually surprises people. But when they talk to me for like, I don't know, an hour they're like wait never mind I get it you're super anxious um but like it's fun I think the hardest times are when um you're talking about something serious right because like anything that you can like when you're talking about sports we're having a grand old time right but like if John Madden dies you don't want to screw something up on that day right like you everybody is talking about how great of a legacy this man had this is a funny story I literally like I said on the air? Wait, were you, were you on the air I did the sports center AM after John Madden died and I called him John legend on air. I said the legendary John legend <laughs> because, but you know, what's so funny is I told myself before I said, do not call this man, John legend. Cause I kept thinking he was so legendary. Right. And I was like, I'm going to call him John legend. That's a real person. So like, it's very easy to do, but I remember, um, uh, thinking, oh my gosh, do not call this man, John, John legend on air, because I don't want people to be like, what the heck is wrong with this girl? But the funniest part of that day was after, cause I'm, I'm, I am like super close with my boss and stuff like that. Like I'll text him and be like, dude, what the heck is going on? Whatever. And so I get off of sports center after calling him John legend and I texted my boss and I'm like, am I going to get fired? Like jokingly, of course, am I going to get fired? Cause I just called John Madden, John legend. And he was like, I mean, nothing has really gone viral yet in a long time from sports center. So maybe this is a great thing. Maybe you'll get a raise. And then I was watching, um, good morning football. And Kay Adams called John Madden, John Legend. And I just felt like in that moment, it was just like a confirmation, like you're good. So the pressure that happens, it's like, it, this is the conversation that I had this morning. It's like, it we're all human beings. Nobody is like the most perfect. When you have a conversation, you're not saying every single word perfectly correct. So I think it's a lot of pressure of just, you know, 
you want to be great at your job and you want to be seen as great. And you don't want people to think that you're not, especially if you know that you are. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm just an anxious mess. So I'm always in my head anyways. Um, but I think just learning how to balance that, right. Like making it more excitement than anxiety. <laughs> I got you. Well, look, the business you're in the business uh, I'm in, we're in a little bit, you know, it's, it's, there's, it's performance, but it's, you know what I mean? Like right. we're performers, so to speak. Right. And we're always right. pursuing the perfect broadcast, the perfect line, the perfect read, the perfect how, how I, as the questions are coming out of my head, I'm like, dude, Josh, come on. You could do better. Even right. in the moment, I'm like, that stunk. And you want to do it again or do it over or the next yeah. time I'm not going to do it. So part of it is also just the industry we chose, right? Because exactly. it's just a mat. It, it, there's, um, there's probably continual always room for improvement, especially as you're grow going up the ladder and you're just always striving for, if you're wired the right way, you're always striving for the next best broadcast of yourself by yourself. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think it's, it, like you said, it's performance-based and you can literally look at when you, cause it's real time, right? So you can look back and say, well, I messed up here. I messed up here. I messed up here. I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't great. Da, 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 da. Um, just like, you know, an athlete would, right? Like if I am doing something in game, I, this is one thing that I shared when I was at the event this weekend, um, is I was like, you know, the one difference between being an athlete and being a non-athlete, like after your um, athletic career is over is the fact that none of the, like, all the mistakes that you make are not going to turn into physical punishment. <laughs> like I don't have to get on the line if I mess up, like I'm not running. So it's actually not as bad technically, um, but you still are able to look back, watch film and see, you know, where moments were really good and where moments weren't as good. And I think that's the reason I, I a lot of us are so critical of, of what we do because you can literally see it and it's real time. So you don't really necessarily have the time to go back and correct it. It just is already out there. All right. So you mentioned before you were watching your W, your uh, not VUM, but yeah, it was VUM. No, no, UM, UM, UM Sports MTV. Desk. I'm sorry. Yeah. You were watching. Uh, you were watching that, and you were just like, "Well, how? How did I get hired? How did I even make it into this industry? So, um, how did it happen? How did it happen? The journey. Yeah. How did I it mean? It was a long, windy one, in my opinion. Um, I think, and this is probably something that makes sense to you. Because our industry at one point used to be made up of people that were all kind of carbon copies of one another, like they wanted people to be very similar. It was very hard for me to get a job immediately out of college on camera because I am myself and I look like myself. Like I wasn't going to grow my, like I'm bald, bro. Like you have to accept you it. Bald, or like, like, could you grow your hair out? Yeah. So I actually, I cut my hair pretty much like every two days. My hair grows pretty fast, actually. What do you use, by the way? Because I need, I need, I, I, I use wall balding clippers because they get super close and I don't trust myself to shave my head with a razor because no. I just feel like it could go really bad um so the balding clippers are for people that are balding so it gets pretty close um but yeah that's wall, what I okay and then and then the because my wife is like a neat freak so I the reason what happens is I, I she's like go get a haircut I'm like why do I need to go get a haircut like I can do this right. by myself but right. I'm gonna make a mess she's not gonna like it the kids are like dad you're you know and so it, then it perpetuates and now I look like this, right? Which is kind of a, I'm in, in the in, in between stage, which is awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the wall ball and you do it, are you home? But like you I do it myself. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It does make a mess, but like, I, I just clean it up. <laughs> the wall was good. I, I got some, I got, I got some, I mean, I got a lot out of this, but something I can actually take Use home with me. Yourself, and, yeah. Right? Cause I need, I need, I, I think I should, I always say, actually, if I start doing it every two or three days, it'd be less of a mess. Oh yeah. But it's, it's then it gets to be like 10 days and I'm like, now I'm in the awful stage. Right. And then you want to push it back even more. So we could grow, we could have legitimate hair. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this was, a, I mean, this was it's so funny. I actually feel really bad uh, sometimes because I get a lot of messages from women that have alopecia and stuff like that. And they'll say, you know, people during the college football season tag me a lot of things um, that had alopecia. And I think they assumed that I also had alopecia and I didn't know how to respond because I didn't want to be like, no, I don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't have that, but also I do obviously think that bald is beautiful. Um, so it was always about trying to relay that message. So I actually had to change my bios on social media to say, I shave my head and talk about sports on ESPN because I just wanted people to know that like, if they come to my by page, choice, it's by choice. Right. So, um, yeah. But now did you step into this look for broadcasting or for yourself? 
for myself. Yeah. And then I just didn't want to change it when people told me that I probably should if I was in this industry. So what because got you I to do it? Wait, wait, what I, got you to shave the head? So it was actually, um, I just kept cutting my hair shorter and shorter. And then my mom's hair is like this. My dad is, he's bald by not by choice. So I knew that I he's had- one of, He's one of us. He's one exactly, of us. Exactly. He's part of the the crew, the y'all squad. Yeah, right. Uh, but I knew that I had a good shaped head because of their heads. They're, you know, I can see them all the time. So I was like, okay, I think if I just shave my head, it would be okay. And then I had my mom cut my hair. I actually had gotten surgery on my leg. Um, and there's a guy named Steve who cuts all the University of Miami football players yeah, hair. Kane's Barber. Oh my God. I love him. He's so great. So he's actually the person that first shaved my head. He shaved one side of it. So I had like a little like short cut and he was like I used to always um they used to get their haircut and I forget what the on-campus apartments were called before they got destroyed they're not there anymore not the village but the other ones and he used to go into um one of the rooms of like a regular student that worked there and that's where he would cut hair this is you know like when he first started his career as Kane's Riber and I just used to hang out all the time and he one day was like I should shave one side of your head and I can put designs in it and I was like, nah. And he was like, yeah. So like every single time I would come, he'd be like, come on, let me just shave one side of your head. It'd be great. So I let him do it one time. And so then I had shaved this side of my head. This part of the hair was regular. And so when I got surgery, cause when, when Steve was doing it all the time, he, you know, was able to make it look good when I got surgery and I had to go home and like be on bed rest and stuff like that. This part of my hair was growing out. I looked crazy. So I just told my mom, Hey, shave the, shave my whole head. I can't do, I don't, I can't look like an insane person. People are coming to visit me and stuff like that. I couldn't look like a crazy person. Um, so I just had my mom shave the rest of my head and then the rest is history. Cause there wasn't, I mean, you've always had a unique look and I say that, that that's a positive because I, I was prepping for this and uh-huh. you had like the, sh- I don't know how to describe it. It was like a short cropped hair, orangey with a U on the yeah. side. So like yeah. you always had a little flair. The U was um, a Kane's Barber. That was a Kane's Barber thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He, he put like, um, he put U's in my head. He would put Sebastian. One time he put Sebastian in my head. Um, so yeah, I would go to Steve every once in a while. He sometimes would come to my house and do it because he was just like, yo, we have to have you looking right. We can't have you looking crazy. You know, what he's, you know he's, now he's got his own like. Yeah, his Mercedes own van. Yeah, van I love it. Goes I around love it. chair cutting Problems hairs. Like yeah, he also does the dolphin. So he's killing it right now. Yeah. All uh, right. So we so we like the look. We just we yeah. stepped into it. Um, and you were talking before about yes, yeah, so we we have a we've had a carbon. Oh yeah. So the industry is broadcasting. So just like cookie cutter, everybody needs to be the same, similar, you know, it was very hard because I was just different. Um, and so a lot of the jobs that I got, I went from being at UM, I I went to go be a graduate assistant reporter at um, Clemson for two years. So I had to get my master's, but also work in the athletic department. That's actually how I know Dan Radakovich because he was there um, when I was there. Um, and then after that, I went to go work for the Broncos for a year. And I actually did something at Clemson called bald girl on campus, because since I had been, you know, coming up in the industry or trying to come up in the industry and being told on a regular basis, eh, well, we don't really know if our audience would identify with you and how you look and stuff like that. So I, when I went to Clemson, South Carolina, I was like, this is Clemson, South Carolina. Let me just take the elephant in the room and just put it on display and just call myself bald girl on campus. So that when I'm talking to student athletes, they're not like, okay, this is a good interview, but like, why is this girl bald? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let's just make it a thing. And that eventually kind of grew into my, the bald girl um, kind of persona. So since it was so hard, I went to, I went to um, the Broncos after that. And I called myself Broncos bald girl. So I was just kind of just like trying to take the, just like make it a You just leaned, into, you just leaned, it, leaned right. into it hard. Exactly. Um, so I went to the Broncos and I worked there for a year and I did, um, I wrote for their website. I did social. I also did um, a lot of on-camera work. And then from there, I went to go work at the big 12. I was actually, um, I don't know if you know, uh, stadium, the network. Yeah. So I worked for stadium at the time it was campus insiders, but I worked for stadium as a correspondent at the big 12 conference. And then after I was done there, I actually, kind of felt like I had plateaued at the big 12. And I, you know, like I said, it was very hard for me to get jobs in local news or stuff like that. And so I told myself that I needed an agent to help me kind of take the next step. And so I sent my reel to a bunch of agencies and one of my top three agencies reached back out, reached back out to me. And they said, Hey, like, we would love to take you on as a client. We actually have some friends from ESPN that are down in Austin. They were doing, um, 
auditions for, I believe it was for ACC Network, Women's Basketball Analyst, which obviously wasn't going to be me, but they were like, they're only four hours away from you. It'd be great to just go talk to them and just meet them to see if they could possibly use you in any way or whatever. Um, so I went down there to go meet those people. And they were like, we would love to have you come up to Bristol. I came up to Bristol and then they were, they just put me in front of a lot of different departments to see if I was somebody that they felt like they could use in any way. Um, and then somebody literally, cause I was on the flight back with one of the people in the talent office. She actually lived in Chicago at the time. And I had, um, and she, so we had a layover in the same city and she was like, so she was on my flight and we're sitting waiting at the gate and she got an email and she was like, I think this is going to be good for you because I just got an email. And the guy who was the head of the department just said, this is exactly what we've been looking for. <laughs> And I was like, bet. And then of course she didn't want to get too optimistic because she didn't understand or know like what they'd be willing to offer or, you know, anything like if they actually had a job immediately, but she was like, this is very promising, promising. I'm not going to say it's actually going to happen because I don't know if he wants to hire you, but I will say that this is very promising for you. So she was like, I might reach out to you in a day. I might reach out to you in five years, but I do think that there will be a home for you at ESPN eventually. Um, and then they reached out a month later and they were like, Hey, we have a job for you. So it worked out. What was the job? So actually <laughs> it's so funny. I just, I kind of took a leap of faith because my agent was like, we don't know exactly what you'll be doing, but here are all of the options. So she sent an email that was like, she can fill in on this. She can do that. She can do this. She could host our digital shows. She could host sports center on Snapchat. She can fill in on sports center on um, sports center updates at the time, because we don't have that anymore during the pandemic. We kind of got rid of it, but sports center updates used to run on ESPN news between all of the radio shows uh, where it was just like the four minute sports center update. Um, that was like in the it was under the sports center umbrella. Um, so she, she was like, you can do sideline. She wrote like probably is your agent or the ESPN. And this is the talent, the talent hiring. people in the talent office. She wrote about 15 to 20 things that she was like, you could possibly be doing these things. And so I remember being like, what am I actually going to be doing though? Like, am I going to actually be doing stuff, doing stuff on a regular basis? I could feel, I could kind of feel like your anxiety might've been a little accelerated right. at that. Like, during I got to move out to the middle of nowhere, in my opinion, Connecticut, and just trust that this is going to work I out. I might be doing one of these 20 things. Right, right. Um, and she's like, it can be all, all these things. And then I just- Or like, none okay, of these cool. things. Right. Because some of the stuff on the list I haven't done yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she was like, we just feel like she could do all of these roles. A lot of these people could use, use her in some way. Um, so yeah, I came out to Connecticut. And then it's actually crazy because I got here in October of 2019 and then the pandemic happened. And I remember not understanding how- August of 19? October 19. Oh, okay. So like so, six months uh, later. Yeah. So yeah. And I hadn't really gotten my feet under me yet or understood what I was. I was still kind of like, uh, what am I doing exactly? Am I like some weeks I would work, work five days a week and some weeks I would work once. So it was just kind of all over the place. I didn't have a set schedule. And I remember when the pandemic started and sports shut down, I was like, do I have a job? <laughs> Cause I don't own a space. We had just started um, an NBA show that we were doing weekly, but like, and I was hosting it and it was great. It was me, Chineo, Gumake and Omar Raja, but like we, we had done three of them. So I was like, do I work here? <laughs> um, but it was actually perfect because my, my um, contract started in October, like I said, so in October of 2020, when sports started again, they weren't flying talent in because they didn't understand anything about COVID, right? So anybody that was in Connecticut was getting used 9,000% of the time because it was like, hey, you're already here. Can you fill in on this? Can you do this for us? So I actually got a ton of reps just because I was here. Um, so it worked out in my favor, favor, even though for a couple of months I was honestly panicking, like, am I okay? <laughs> um, but, and then I had a, I was on a one plus one contract at the time. So like, and I was looking towards October, like they're not going to pick up my option because I'm just, you know, like what they're losing money. There's no sports, blah, blah, blah. But actually October ended up being like that October of 2020 ended up kind of giving myself a trajectory. And I remember my boss texted me, um, I want to say like in December of that year. And he was like, you know, it's been so good to watch your growth and just be able to see you get utilized in a lot of different places that you didn't think that you would. Um, and so, yeah, that's just kind of how my trajectory has gone at ESPN. All right. So walk me back to this though, right? You know, we're trying to get into, the, take me back to Clemson, you know, mm -hmm. that, or that's at the beginning. We're trying to get a job. 
female, minority, bald right. head. Right. And, and if we took all of that out, you're just someone who's young and new and trying to get into the business and find your voice. Right. And you're going to try and find your voice with that. Well, no one can see me with that or not yeah. any of that right. on, on the top of your dome. So was it nerve wracking? Like, did you said that you're anxiety laden, but you also are seem to be pretty confident and bold. So like, yeah. how did you navigate that path of like, this is how I'm going to do it. This is why I want to do it. Um, yeah. And this is how this is how I'm going to be me. Were you always in bold and confident that that was the path to take? I think the biggest thing for me is even though I am an anxious mess, I'm very confident in who I am as a person. So it's the, it's the reason that like, I, um, wasn't going to change myself, even though, like, as I was starting in the industry, people were telling me to, I was like, no, I know for a fact that if I change anything about what I, what I look like, I'm not going to feel as confident as I am on a regular basis. Right. So then what would my anxiety look like in that situation? <laughs> we don't even want to know. Um, so I think that was the biggest thing is I just kind of knew who I was and I didn't want to change those things about myself. When I first got to ESPN about, or when I first got to Clemson in about the second week, I want to say I was there, Scott Van Pelt came to campus and he was doing bald man on campus. And I remember, um, he was interviewing and, and kind of like spending a day with Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins. And they wanted me to go along with them and kind of do social and behind the scenes, like video stuff. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, bald man on campus. Like, I should be bald girl on campus. That would be amazing. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where that came from is just the idea of making it into a thing. Um, and then when I was able to do that, I wasn't concerned. Like I just leaned into a heavy, people call me BGOC, like people to this day, Kelly Graham like works at, um, ESPN, she does some stuff for ACC Network. She was a women's hooper at Clemson when I was there. And she, so every time she comes on campus, she's always like, BGOC. So it's like, it stuck with me. It just stuck, it worked. Um, and I think the fact that I was able to, like I said, get the elephant in the room out, just like, let's just point it out and just get over it, um, allowed me to just be more confident in what I was doing on a daily basis. All right, so you get, you're at ESPN. That's the, that's the, the place, right? Yeah. Anyone in our industry, that is the place. Yeah. So, and you're there trying to find your way at the beginning, but, but mm -hmm. like, talk to them, just t describe to me like the first time you're on the sports center desk or like you're on campus, you're like, dude, I'm here. Like I'm at ESPN. Like that's a big deal. It's so funny because the first time that I ever did sports center, I think I was less nervous than I like get sometimes now, because here's, here's why I put the most pressure on myself. If somebody tells me that I'm really good at my job, then I feel like I always have to uphold that, right? So if somebody's like, dang, you are killing it. I love watching you. You're so good. Whether it be an executive here at ESPN or a fan, I'm like, oh my goodness, I always have to be good. So that's where the biggest pressure comes. So honestly, the first time I got on SportsCenter, I had no expectations. I had never done anything like that before. So I was like, okay, let's just do this show and see what happens. Um, and so I think now going into it, I'm that's one of the, I'm like, people think I'm really good now. I just can't screw up. Um, so I think, I think honestly, the first time I got on the sports center desk, I wasn't as nervous as I, as I get sometimes if I haven't done it in a while. Um, but I think the one thing is that like everybody here that I've, I've worked with, um, on a show, whether it be digital or otherwise has been super supportive and super helpful. So, um, just working alongside people that are really good at their job, but that are, are trying to help you be really good at your job has been the biggest thing for me because Nobody is trying, there are people in this industry that are super competitive and they don't want to see you succeed. But I think all the people that I've, I've worked with very closely have wanted me to succeed. And that's been the biggest thing for me. All right, a couple more things. So you had mentioned or either on this at the very beginning or when I was reading about that, hey, when you did the celebration of women's athletics, right, that you were giving advice out to them, but they were really kind of inspiring right. you. But in any journey, any walk of life, in any career you walk, there's always good to have people that are mentor you, right? Just forget the this is how I look, this is my, what I'm going to go with, da, 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 da. Yeah. but like, Hey, I want to be on the air. I want to be a broadcaster in sports. So who helped, who helped you? Like who inspired you, who helped you, who mentored you forget the look. I'm not, I'm just talking right. about taking the journey to get to where you are, even whether it was along the way, or even in, in Bristol, you mentioned some people like who's helped you. You said you were, to, you wanted to help the girls at Miami, right? Give right. advice. Who helped you along the way? Um, I think the biggest person since I've been here at ESPN has been L Duncan. And I remember <laughs> it was so funny. Cause I was like, please go to breakfast with me. Cause when I first got here, 
I um, had a bit of that imposter syndrome. Like, did they accidentally hire me? Like, am I really as good as they're telling me? Do I have as much potential as they, they're saying that I do? And I was on a college football show with um, Mike Golick Jr. and Jason Fitz. And, and Mike played football at Notre Dame. And so he obviously is a football head. Like that's all he eats, sleeps and breathes football. And I remember sitting next to him and Harry Douglas was on the other end actually too. And, you know, Harry Douglas played in the NFL. Mike played in college. Jason Fitz was just a very knowledge. He worked in radio. He's worked in radio his entire life. So he's just like, is able to talk about this stuff consistently. And I've been coming from the, um, from the big 12. So I only knew those 10 teams in depth. Like I was not, we're about to do a show about all the teams possibly in the entire college football landscape. And I remember sitting there and feeling like I had to know every single thing. So when Harry Douglas would go in about like the hundredth ranked team in college football. And I knew literally that he was talking circles. I could, I could have been, you know, he could have been speaking in another language. I remember feeling like I do not know what the heck is going on. So I went to breakfast with Elle Duncan and I sat down with her and I was like, dude, what am I doing here? Like, do I know what I'm doing? Cause I was studying so much too, but then nothing was like staying in my brain. Right. Like I'm reading all these. What stats There's a like, lot of, it can escape. You got a lot of escape patches up there, you know, exactly. it's like trying to cram for a test. Like it doesn't do anything good, especially if you don't know what's going to be on the test. Um, and so I remember I went to breakfast with Elle and she goes, do you think that I know literally everything that there is to know about sports? She was like, Heck no. But she said, if you sent me across an NHL analyst and he sits there and starts going in about something, I guarantee people are going to believe that I know everything about the sport. It's just about having the confidence to go toe to toe with anybody that you're talking to, because you know that I, you're a credible person. I'm credible. I don't know. I might not know what you're talking about, but I can sit here and ask you questions about stuff. I know the general storylines that are going on in, in the NHL, et cetera. She was like, I don't know everything about, about hockey, but I can go toe to toe with anybody that, that does know everything about hockey. She was like, they don't expect you to be Michael Jr. They don't expect you to be Harry Douglas. They hired you to be you. So whatever you think your strengths are, lean into that because that's the reason that they hired you. And I remember when she told me that, my whole entire outlook about everything changed. I was able to actually have more like easily have conversations on the shows that I was on because I wasn't concerned about Harry Douglas pulling out a stat, like literally that I've never heard of in my life about a guy that's like off the bench that came into a game and was able to ball out for like, I don't know, San Jose state. Like I didn't have to know that information. Right. I could always, he just, she just told me how to make it to really lean into my strengths in this space. And that's where I started getting more confident on the shows that I was on. Um, so I think she's been the biggest help when it comes to ESPN. And she's also, you know, just since then helped me, you know, know who to talk to and what things to work on and kind of gotten information from other people. She'll go talk to people and be like, Hey, what do you think about Christine, et cetera. Um, so she's been huge. I think she's your source. She's the yeah, source. Oh, for sure. For sure. She'll be like, Hey, so-and-so said this about you. So this is good. Like make sure you're talking to him on a regular basis. Um, so she's great. Um, I think because it's been so, it was so hard in the start of my career. And I was told so many times that like, I wasn't going to be able to be in this industry just because of how I looked. It was harder for me to um, kind of have the outlook and say, I am going to be this, right? I was just having a good time and trying to be good at my job. Um, so I didn't necessarily make the goal of I'm going to be on ESPN. I was just like, I'm trying to be good at what I'm doing on a regular basis. And so I didn't really look to other people that were at where I wanted to be at. Cause I didn't really know where I wanted to be. I was told that I couldn't be anywhere. <laughs> so like, I was like, all right, but I'm just going to work really hard and do try to be really good at my job and see what happens with that. If you're telling me that my ceiling is this low, like I'm just going to do my best in this industry. Um, and so I didn't really reach out to people on a regular basis, but I will say that my mom, um, I always tell my, I always tell people that if I told my mother that I wanted to be a flower, she would be like, you can be the most beautiful, best, good smelling flower. Like she would just, she rooted me on a hundred percent of the way I could tell her I wanted to do anything. And she would tell me I'm going to be the best at it. So I think having her in my corner has always just given me the confidence to go into any room and be in any situation and kind of just own it. Um, and then also 
Gail Searins, the woman that I was telling you at the beginning of the conversation that um, worked in um, local news when I was younger, she was just a super help, super helpful to, you know, tell me who to watch, like, and how to ask questions and stuff like that. Um, so her as well. And your mom, you said was in, was, a, was she on air? So she wasn't on air. She was a community liaison, but I was like in a lot of commercials on local news. Those are great to look back at too, because I was always around the station. And I remember, um, you know, I just used to be on the desk with, uh, there was a guy named Reginald Roundtree. We were in Tampa. So Reginald Roundtree and like Linda Gelanella, like people that I just like looked up to that were, that were on air because I was around them all the time. Um, but yeah, so, uh, she was, she just had me in the environment. She wasn't on air. I got you. All right. Last thing. Since uh, I do the, uh, I also do the sidelines uh, for for our radio broadcast, and I've done it for for twelve years. Um, how awesome is it to do that? I know you do a lot of digital work, and and one of them is doing the. I don't know what the exact name is, but you're the game day before game day, or whatever, whatever. Yeah. So like, how yeah. awesome is it to be on that set in that spot in that environment? Because that's like, that's where we. I mean, we, you know, we live college football, and right. uh, we're at the U. But from a broadcasting standpoint. You know, I'm just looking at that going, that is awesome. Yeah. That is so much, that's gotta be so much fun. It's, I mean, especially being in a pandemic and, you know, not having a college football season look the same the year before and being able to go out on the road and just kind of like be in that vibe and that energy of college football again was amazing. I hadn't really gone to games since I was at the big 12, um, because I, you know, the pandemic and I wasn't really on the road for the first season that I was here. Um, so being in that environment was absolutely amazing. Um, everybody that I worked with on game day, cause we were, we worked together. Uh, it was basically like one big production was super helpful. Uh, Reese Davis was super helpful. My, um, uncle actually makes suits for Herbie for Kirk Herbstreet. Um, so, you know, I told him beforehand, Hey, you know, I'm going to be working with Herbie on the road with Herbie every single week. And so he was super helpful and just like very nice. And everybody was very welcoming. We had, um, like David Pollock on our show often, um, Des was on our show often. And so they were great. I think honestly, the best part of the whole entire experience is I was actually on game day a few times this college, this college football season. Nice. And it was, it was crazy the first time it happened because it wasn't even like it was a big deal. They were just like, hey, we're going to have Christine on the show. She's going to be doing this. And I remember being like, wait, what? Because we used to go to the production meetings to kind of understand what they were going to do on their show and kind of like have. Well, our- so I was going so to ask you. So this yeah. is this comes on how this comes on how how many hours or how much time prior to game day? We're a half an hour before. So our show digital, in- digital right? On like yeah. you're streamed out a half hour before yeah. and then the TV yeah. broadcast goes on. Right. So exactly. I was going to ask you, how do you guys position your show? to complement what's going to happen on TV. Yeah. So, um, usually our producer and like whoever of our talent wants to go to the, uh, the show meeting before it's a day before, um, and kind of just kind of understand what they're doing. It's like about a two hour meeting where they just run through the entire rundown and talk about what elements are going to go in the show, kind of talk through everything so that all the talent on the show know what's going to happen. Um, uh, Jen and Gino talk about the features that they have going into the game so that they can kind of like structure things around it and stuff like that. And so we were in those meetings every single week, but that's got it. That's got to be like, if you're like a nerd for this profession, that's got to be the ultimate nerd fest. Right. Right. It's great. And you just get to see the conversations that they have and try to figure out like, you know, exactly how they're going to put the show together. But it was so funny because when I say that it was just like so nonchalant when they're like, we're going to have you on the show, they were like, and yeah, we're going to have, we have a, um, actually a segment that we want you to do Christine and, and I'll give you the information, but it's just going to basically be, and I'd be like, the first time it happened, I was like, you what, what? <laughs> and actually my producer was told beforehand. So he was just like, Hey, they want you on game day. And I remember being like, on what game day <laughs> countdown or like, uh, so I actually had the opportunity to be on a few shows this year and it was great. Um, it was actually crazy. Cause we didn't do the army Navy game game for countdown. Um, but I remember thinking, okay, like our last week was going to be um, the the week right before Army Navy, because before the season started, they were like, we don't do Army Navy for countdown. It's just going to be game day. And I remember um, thinking that, you know, the college football season on the road for me was over until the national championship and, and the CFP. So yeah, that was a fun time. And I got a text from one of the producers on game day. And he was like, hey, we want you to come to Army Navy and do a couple segments for us. And I remember being like, Okay. I'm totally down for that. Um, so yeah, it was just a really good experience. I'm excited to be back on the road with them, um, this upcoming college football season, but yeah, like hopefully I can do more and 
yeah, just kind of see how, how things go. Maybe we can get the podcast to go viral. So is it true you're doing the uh, helmet gear for instead of Corso? Did I hear that right? <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> that's what I thought I heard. I nobody, thought I heard something along the line. Listen, I do. I could never do, even though like it's it Corso's job, you just, it's 50, 50 chance. I could never do Corso's job. Anytime I ever ha like have any kind of thing, I try to stay straight and narrow. Whenever I have a strong opinion about something, I just stay off of social media because people go in on you like crazy. So Corso's job, though, it looks like a good fun time. Like he has to have thick skin to be able to choose those. those but you are, but just confirm that you are actually taking his spot. <laughs> it will be me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Christine, we, Christine, we want you on game day. Me? Yeah. Uh, no, helmet picking. <laughs> I'm sitting next to Herb Street. And yes, between, and exactly. I'm a sandwich between Herb Street and, okay, yeah. got it. I'm good. Easy. It's easy. Um, all right. Last thing wall, bald trim. What was it again? The hair cutter. Oh, um, the wall, bald clippers. Bald wall, wall clippers. Wall. It's a tongue twister. Yeah, it is. The wall. Bald trimmers. Oh, balding, 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 because bald. it's for people that are balding. They're not right. fully bald. They're just right. partially. I got, I got you. All right. Well, listen. Thank you so much. It was a it was a pleasure. Hope hopefully we get you guys down to Miami for game day. Hey, that's uh, the goal. Although I don't. We're we're at we're at Clemson. At, well, maybe we'll see you on the road. Maybe we'll see yeah. you in College Station. We'll see you in in Clemson. And uh, appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate you doing this. I know the school is thankful because you came down and you did something much bigger than being on this podcast. But uh, thanks for for. Uh, sharing your story we appreciate it of course thank you so much for having me